And so starting with 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, <clears throat> Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man striveth for the mastery that is temperate in all things. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And then uh, out of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 4, uh, wherefore, seeing we are also, uh, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endures such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And I want to stop right there at that fourth verse. And I'd like to use as a title this morning, uh, Fueled by Joy. Uh, fueled by Joy. And because that's really something that, that's what we have to be motivated by, isn't it? Uh, so much of the world today is focused on being happy that they forgot how to have joy in the things that they do. They're so focused on the, the things that are in the world, and they think that the world provides happiness. But the, the most joyous times in your life usually come about when there wasn't really that much around, uh, that much to be had. And, uh, and actually, what's really amazing here is the things that, uh, we should find joyful. You won't even find them in the world today uh, because they don't exist in the world. They exist in heaven. And uh, we should be looking at heaven and we should be looking at that and, 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 and thinking about the joy uh, that we will experience over there. Uh, and now if you're here today and you don't know the Lord and the free pardon forgiveness of sin, you've got to get that right first uh, before you can even think about the experiencing the joys of heaven. But for those of us that are here that have been saved, uh, that should be the chief motivating factor for us in our life, isn't it? In everything that we do, we should think about how, mu how, how much of a privilege it, it is to be able to serve God uh, in this world uh, and think about the joy that will be rewarded uh, when we're in His presence in heaven. And so we think about that, and, we look, and we're going to go back here, and we're going to look first at Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians. And Paul's writing this in the context of running a race, isn't he? Uh, but he, he says this about those that run the race. He says, but the crown that they strive for is a corruptible crown. And we still see this in sports today. And you say, well, how's that a corruptible crown? They're a champion. They'll always be a champion. They're a champion for that year. And then the next year, they're not the champion anymore. They got to start it all over again, don't we? I want to tell you this. If you get saved, you don't ever have to worry about losing that crown. 
There would be no certainty in life if you could lose it, could you? You can't do anything to get it, and you can't do anything to lose it, that once you have that salvation, you have it. Jesus has washed away all your sins in the past, present, and future. Now, a lot of people in the world don't like to hear that today. Um, they, they don't, uh, it's, it, they can't wrap their minds around that kind of grace, but that's the grace of the Lord, isn't it? That's the power that the blood of Christ has. It gives us the assurance, doesn't it? And that assurance gives us the ability to boldly approach the throne of grace. It gives us the ability to work and uh, and endure the things for the cross. And so, we, now that's not to excuse everything. The Bible doesn't excuse every behavior, um, but those sins are paid for. Uh, and Jesus nailed them to his cross. And so he says here, they all run in a race, but only one wins. Uh, here's the thing. Jesus ran the race so that everybody could win. <laughs> Jesus' desire is that all would be saved, that none would miss out on the joys of heaven. Uh, and so we, we look there in the, in the writings of the Hebrew writer, uh, and he says, looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him. What did he do? He endured the cross. That was not a pleasant experience for him. That should go without saying. As a matter of fact, before he endured the cross, we see him up on the top of, uh, or there at the Mount of Olives, and he's praying to the Father. And as he's praying, he's in such distress that his sweat becomes as great drops of blood. Uh, he knew what awaited him when he went to the cross. He knew everything that was going to that he was going to experience. He knew that he knew the shame that he was going to experience. And he knew all the pain that he was going to experience. But for the joy that was set before him, he went willingly, didn't he? They didn't make they didn't take him of his own he went of his own will to to Calvary's cross that each one of us might have the opportunity to be saved. And if for those of us that are saved, if that doesn't bring us great joy that God loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish, but that they would have everlasting life, I don't know where our heart is if that doesn't make us rejoice. Because that is the most joyful thought that we have in Scripture that God himself reconciled us unto himself, and he ran a race in this world uh, and showed us how to live. Now, most of us have a uh, kind of a distorted mindset of what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, nowadays in the, in the United States, and I would say most of the West, it means sitting around in the lap of luxury and going to church at our leisure and, and having the ability to freely uh, practice our, our faith uh, and to do those things. But that's not the way Christianity was brought into the world. That's not, when you study scripture, that's not what the early Christians experienced and endured. They look toward the joy that was set before them. They look before, they looked at Christ. They, they had their eyes fixed beyond the realm of this world and, and they looked 
to Christ, um, the, as the Hebrew writer says, the author and the finisher of our faith, and that's what they they looked at as a motivating factor. And I'm going to look here just for a minute in 1 Corinthians, and Paul's talking about this, and he talks about how those athletes, and they still do this nowadays, that every man that striveth, or every man that competes for the mastery or for the prize is temperate in all things. And what that means is they're very careful about the things that they put in their bodies so that their bodies will operate at 100% efficiency. They don't eat a bunch of sugar because that causes them to be lethargic and it causes inflammation in the body. They don't do a lot of those things. They abstain from a lot of stuff. I knew some swimmers in college and they would always, the night before they swam, and runners would do this too. Before they would run, uh, Brother Osborne can speak to this, Keela ran cross country. And the day before, they loaded up on carbs because they needed to have the fuel to be able to get through the the next day's race. They would load up, they would eat so much spaghetti, they'd have spaghetti coming out their eyeballs. But uh, they would just load up on spaghetti and bread and these types of carbs because they would have to need that energy for the following day uh, or a couple days ahead. It depends on who you talk to and when you would eat it. But they didn't need a bunch of junk because if you did that, you weren't going to be very successful. And this, our spiritual lives are the same way. If we feast on a bunch of junk, we're not, we're going to find ourselves not very fit for the master's use, are we? And that's where we each should be. Each of us should be fit for the master's use so that when there's something that needs to be done or there's something that needs to be said, whatever our race is that is set before us, whenever God calls us, then we should be willing to go. And to that end, Paul says this. Now, Paul's not talking about the physical body and the things that he did, but now he did do this because he fasted often. But he says this in the 27th verse. Uh, This is in line with how those runners would, or how those uh, athletes would prepare their bodies. He said, but I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. Now he's not talking about the physical things. He's talking about the moral applications here. And he keeps under his body and he brings it into subjection. Why? Less than when I have preached to others that I myself should be a castaway. Now that doesn't mean that God would look down at Paul and say, Paul, you're a reprobate and you're no longer saved. What that means is in the eyes of men that Paul would still carry or curry favor. And that goes along with the rest of the chapter. If you go back up earlier in this chapter, what he's talking about is he's talking about reaching out to anybody and everybody. In verse 20, he says, and unto the Jews, I became a Jew that I might gain the Jews. Now that word gain means win, that I might win the Jews. We need people to be saved, don't we? One of the biggest problems that we have in churches, and I'm not going to just say in missionary Baptist churches, but one of the biggest problems, this mindset that's his, that has invaded churches is this thought that I don't care what people think of me. 
Paul cared a lot about what people thought of him. He put it at the forefront of his mind. He says to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, meaning the Gentiles, as without the law, except here it says this, but being not without law to God, meaning I'm not going to forsake the moral law. I'm not going to live immorally so that in the eyes of those who I'm preaching to that I myself should be a castaway. In other words, they won't listen to me and I become a useless preacher. But that I might be effective because they know me and they know where I stand. But he says that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak, and this is meaning weak Christians, to the weak became I as weak because why? Paul didn't want to see anybody turn away from the gospel and following after the teachings of the, of Jesus Christ and the apostles. And so he says to the weak, I became as weak that I might gain the weak. In all of these instances, he wants to win these people over. Well, if you don't care what people think about you, you don't care if you win them over or not, do you? And that's a mindset that has really kind of become pervasive in this in, in society today at large. Well, I don't care what people think of me. I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, Paul said, I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm going to make sure that I keep under myself and make sure that when the race, when it's time for me to run the race, that I'm ready, when the gun goes off, that I'm ready to come out of the blocks. And let's look at how, let's look at that race that Paul run. Cause I'm going to tell you the race that Paul run was absolutely amazing. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Are they ministers of Christ? Paul writes and says, well, I am more. And this is where he's going to get into the things that he endured in the race for the, in, in his Christian race. And here's the thing is a lot of times we think our Christian race is just sitting around and reading the scriptures leisurely and, and not getting up and actually doing anything. Well, the, the church wouldn't be here if people didn't get out and actually do the work of the church and, and engage themselves in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so here he says, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measures, in prisons more frequent. We probably would look at Paul today and say, here's a guy who's in and out of jail all the time. He's obviously no good. And here he is, the apostle. The reason he's in jail is because the people he's preaching to do not like the message. And so those in authority put him in jail. In prisons more frequent, in deaths oft, of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes save one. 
Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Paul's life was threatened everywhere he went. But Paul was fueled by joy, wasn't he? He was fueled by joy. In weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Just imagine that. Of all the threats that were without for Paul, uh, basically everybody uh, that was outside of him the dangers that were without of Paul, uh, and then the dangers that were within. And it wasn't so much a danger as it was a love and a care uh, for the churches that Paul had. But no, let's just think about this. Imagine that it's not your job just to care for one church. It's your job to care for all the churches. Do you think Paul never got mad? Well, he says he did. Because he says this, he says, who is weak and I'm not weak. And then he says, who is offended and I burn not. And that means with righteous indignation whenever the churches were doing that which was an error. And so that's why you read Paul's epistles and they're so, they're so pastoral in their, in their framing. And so, uh, uh, we think about that, and then you think about all the things that uh, that the that the Hebrew writer wrote that those in the old days experienced. Gideon and Barak and Samson and of Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, and what all did they do? Subdued kingdoms. Wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to the flight, turned to flight the armies of of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better salvation. And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. The cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn asunder, tempted, slain by the, with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented. And you know what the Hebrew writer says? And we believe, I believe the Hebrew writer's Paul. But here's what he says. He says, of whom the world was not worthy. Man, they endured everything that they might win Christ, didn't they? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but they knew that they had a job to do in the world today. The churches just need direction today, don't they? We need that kind of drive and desire that it doesn't matter what gets before us, we are going to take the gospel to everybody that we can. 
It doesn't matter if it costs us our life. We're going to take the gospel to everybody that we that, that needs to hear it because now is commanded all men everywhere to repent. But how can they repent if they don't hear? They have to hear the they have to hear the gospel, don't they? They have to get under conviction. They have to get under they have to be led, brought into contrition. They have to turn to the Lord and turn away from their self and they have to look to God and ask God to save them. And so here uh, you can see the motivating factor uh, for these early churches was just that pure joy that they looked forward to. And I'm going to I'm going to look at it I'm going to use a, another verse of scripture here. But before we do that, you can see here the faith of these people were manifested in the things that they did. Go read the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Just go, I can't read the whole chapter. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Go read about what Abraham did and what Moses did and what Joshua did. And, and go and read about how when God gave them a direction to go, that they got up and they went. That's faith. That's being faithful, isn't it? We sometimes think sitting around and resting on our laurels and, and, and oh, I'll pray about it. Well, if God's already told you to do it, then what are you praying about? Really what you're doing is doubting. And so what's, what is the example that we have in Scripture? Well, a fruitless castaway, we've got an example of somebody who's fr- what, what somebody who's fruitless does. And it's in Matthew chapter 21, verses 19 through 22. And, and when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and he found nothing thereon but leaves only. And he said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And that tree withered and it died. And the, and the apostles marveled at the fact that it withered. And it died. And, and I want to touch on the rest of that here in just a minute. But James said, faith without works is dead. Well, why did the church grow to such an extent that it did? Because all of those saints were fueled by the joy that they had for serving God. They were fueled by it. It was what they lived for. And they didn't care what they had to experience or endure to do it. We often hear Philippians 4.13, for I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. But we often misapply that to carnal endeavors. And what that really means is I can endure, and Paul's writing and he says, I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I think sometimes we just get to a point, and, and I, goodness knows that I can get there sometimes. We just get so uh, so discouraged with whatever it is that we might be doing, and, and we just uh, decide it's just not worth it anymore. Well, you know what? If it's of God, it's worth it. You need to keep going. You need to keep going. Sometimes you might not have your headings right. Paul, uh, Paul, I believe it was Paul and Silas, they wanted to go to Bethunia once, but the Spirit of God fought against them. And you say, well, how did the Spirit of God fight against them? Well, every time they tried to go that way, something came up and prevented them from going. But then what happened? In a vision, Paul, heard, Paul in a dream saw a man in Macedonia praying, saying, send somebody to help us. And Paul took off in that direction. 
but faith without works is dead. And we see these works that all of these brethren did and, uh, and the effect that it had. The effect that it had. And so you see, what do you do? Well, we go back and we're going to close here. The, the apostles marveled at that tree that withered away so quickly in the, 20th, in the 20th verse. And Jesus, whenever they would marvel at something he did, Jesus was always puzzled, wouldn't he, whenever they would be in a state of, uh, uh, whenever, whenever they would marvel. He would always be puzzled by it, wouldn't he? And, uh, and here he answers them in the 21st verse. Uh, they, uh, uh, he says, Verily I say unto you, and you, we've all heard this verse of Scripture, haven't we? You know, sometimes we feel like we need to have every answer before we'll move, don't we? We have to have we have to know the end before we'll make the beginnings before we'll start. But that doesn't require any faith. Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, had no idea where he was going. God just told him to go, and he went. And you can read the others in the 11th chapter of Hebrew, or Hebrews. But Jesus says in the 21st uh, verse of the 21st chapter of Matthew, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea, it shall be done. And the word shall is really important. There's a reason that when you write legislation and you write laws, you use the word shall. Because the word shall has leaves no wiggle room, does it? There's no way around the word shall. In other words, he's saying that if you will, uh, with, the, with the faith of a grain of mustard seed, or, or if you have faith and doubt not, Doubt arrests our movement, doesn't it? What if Abraham had questioned the Lord when he called him to leave? What if Joshua would have doubted the Lord when he said, march around Jericho seven days and on the seventh day march around it seven times? What if Gideon had said, I'm not going to go and fight with 200 men or 300 men or how whatever the number was. I don't remember exactly or off the top of my head. Well, you wouldn't have the Hall of Fame that you have listed in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. They did those things. Sometimes we discredit works to a great detriment of the gospel. but you have to do it correctly. And in the 22nd verse, he says, In all things whatsoever ye ask in prayer. And the key word is the next word, believing. Do you believe that God can accomplish it? Do you believe that God through you can bring it, into pa- bring it to pass? That's the key, isn't it? You have to believe that God can accomplish it, but also that God can use you to bring it about. Think about Moses when God called Moses. 
to go and deliver the children of Israel. What did he do first? He doubted, didn't he? He said, well, I can't go because I can't speak. And God said, fine, here's Aaron. And then Moses said, well, I can't go for this reason or I can't go for that reason. God called Jonah uh, after that, a long time after that. God called Jonah. He said, go and preach to the Assyrians in Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, I'm not. That's not doubting. That's just abject, just outright refusal, isn't it? But you know what? Sometimes doubt arrests us to the point that it's just the same as refusing. And so here, here we see this. We have to ask in prayer and we have to believe. And he says, and you shall receive. And you shall receive. This isn't one of those health wealth, and health, wealth, and prosperity gospel messages here. Because this is about enduring the things that are set before you. You might, it might be something big that you're trying to accomplish. Uh, and if you, if you walk with it through the Lord, if you walk through the, walk, walk with the Lord through it, then He will, you will be better off. And so we're going to finish up with this verse of scripture here. And Paul writing to Timothy. And this is along the same line of running a race. Because that's what life is, isn't it? But we run for a crown that is incorruptible and it fadeth not away. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy, look, here's the things that you're going to experience during the course of your ministry. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You're going to face that, Timothy, in your lifetime. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Man, people like to have their ears scratched, don't they? And then what will they do? And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. Now, I said on Wednesday night, if the truth isn't there, then the Spirit's not there. And I'll stand by that because I believe that those two are, uh, they go hand in hand. We worship the, we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And you can't do it, you can't forsake one for the other. But then in verse 5, he says this, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Well, that's how you, that's how you run the race, isn't it? Life's not all, not all rainbows and moonbeams or whatever you want to say. It's, it's not a piece of, it's not a cakewalk. Uh, I'll get around there in a minute. Life is not a cakewalk. It is, uh, we endure hardships. He says, but endure the, the afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And then he says this, remember what Jesus did? He said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame and, and, all, and, 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 the, and all the rest of it. 
But here Paul is, he's, he has forsaken everything in this life. And everything that was gained to Paul, he counted as dung, and he walked away from every bit of it that he might win Christ. And so here he says at the end of his life, he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And remember, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then he says this, he says, And I have fought a good fight. I've run a race. Paul's running a relay race, isn't he? And he's had the baton or the torch, and he's gotten to the end of his, and he's handing it off to Timothy so that Timothy will carry it forward to whomever he hands it off next. And Paul says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I ran my race. I've kept the faith. Remember who he said was after his life? My countrymen. The ones I went to preach to. Remember he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Everybody sought Paul's life. He's, but he says, I've kept the faith. And then what does he, what picture, what imagery does he describe? He describes the joy, doesn't he? To Timothy. Paul was fueled by joy. Just the same as all the, as the prophets were fueled by joy. Just the same as all the, the old saints were fueled by joy. And he says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto them also that love His appearing. Paul looked forward to the joy that was set before him, didn't he? That's what we need to do. If we want to really serve God, God loves a joyful giver, doesn't He? Or a cheerful giver. We can't serve God begrudgingly. We can't serve Him uh, you know, Amy likes to, we like, well, not Amy, but we all like to joke around about Christmas that I'm the Grinch, but we can't serve Christ and be a Grinch. We can't do it. God doesn't find any satisfaction in that, does He? We have to serve the Lord with our whole heart. We have to love the Lord with our whole heart. And then we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. Those are the two commandments that the whole law is hung on. So henceforth, he says, is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to them, but unto them also that love his appearance. Look for the joy that is ahead. If you need fuel to keep going, look from the source. <laughs> Far too often do we look into the world for motivation and why we should keep going. Motivation doesn't rest in this world for a spiritual work. It comes from heaven. And we have to look to the Lord and we have to, and we have to be joyful 
and look forward to the joy that we'll experience when we're gathered around the throne. Hey, we can think about it. We can share those thoughts with each other. That's what has to drive us in it. Doesn't matter what we experience in this lifetime, one day it'll all be worth it. If just one person got saved through whatever in, in affliction that we may have to endure, we'll be skipping when we go into heaven, won't we? That's 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 what we need to rest our minds on. And this year, let's let's look for look for that joy that is set before us, so that it can drive us into this year. That lost people might be saved. That our love for the Lord will grow, regardless of whatever it is that we may face in this world. That's our message this morning, Brother Williams. If you've got a song.